right, well, my next guest is somebody who I love talking to, but I'm also highly envious of his golf game, among other things. Ping, VP of Fitting and Performance, Marty Jertson. Marty, man, it's been a while. How you been? So good, Jonathan. It's been, uh, life is good. Working on my golf game personally, trying to solve problems so for golfers, man. We'll get into, we'll get into that. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous of your ability to, to work and play golf. I haven't quite found that balance, but... You know, one of the great things about what we get to do is we get to, to be in the golf industry. Yeah. And and I know you wanted to be in the golf industry for, for a long time. I did, and we're getting to live our dreams. Yeah. And the question that I seem to get a lot, I'm sure you do too, is how the heck did you end up in the industry? Like where, like early beginnings, did you, did you want to be in like, Somebody designing golf clubs? Did you want to be a tour pro? Like, where, how far back does it go where you where you had this dream of wanting to be here? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think I was, I was always kind of started with my like skill as a junior golfer. Like, I was never as good as some of the best players growing up in Arizona, like Ches Revy, Charlie Belgian. There was that tier, and then I was like down below, and I could I, I just like literally never beat them. And, and then, you know, I wasn't quite good enough to play D1 golf, or if I was, they wouldn't want me to do engineering and things of that nature. So I ended up going to engineering school, the Colorado School of Mines. Yeah. Very good school, by the way. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> quite a good school. You've got to be school. a smart guy to go there. Great golf team now. we got Jim Canals, PGA Tour player, is an alumni from there. That's right. Who's on the ping staff, stacker too, so he's, he's all in. Um, but I think going back to your question, I, I never really, when I was in school, thought, hey, I want to go into the golf industry. I figured, ah, I'm going to get my engineering degree and my school is big in oil and gas exploration. I've kind of figured I'd do that or automotive or aerospace or something. So, But I kind of got lucky after school. I played the mini tours for for like a year and then quit. And then I, through a friend of a friend, mini tour buddy friend of mine, knew somebody at Ping, got me in the door. And, I was, and it wasn't until that point I was like connected the dots. That hey, I could use my engineering degree, combine it with my love for golf and addiction to golf and golf junkie like everybody yeah. else out there, <laughs> and and marry those two things together. So, I think the lesson out there is like you know there's like luck along the way, and you know I probably got lucky just meeting the right people at the right time and get getting getting in the door at Ping. Really, you mentioned your your year playing mini tour golf. What was that like? It was painful, man. <laughs> it was fun, but fun, but it's like painful. the same thing that I hear from everybody that's tried it. They're oh, like, dude, man. it was it was such a wake up call. But yeah, tell me. Yeah, tell me I mean, that. but but it was fun. I mean, the problem for me is like I was scraping together. My, like I just graduated from college. Like I got right. I got loans I got to pay off. You know, it's like and and everyone else getting engineering degrees is making big salaries and all that stuff at the at the time. So it it was it was rolling the dice for me for sure. It was fun, but I had to, you know I didn't like that you know, borrow and scrape up money to go play and, and do all that. But I had a great time. Like, and I actually played good. Like, yeah. a, you know, it wasn't like I failed, you know, I mean, as a mini tour player, I was, I was competing on like the gateway tour locally and doing good in some regional stuff. And, and around this area, I mean, there are so oh, many man. good players. It was tough. Yeah, no, the competition was good. And everyone I played against on the gateway tour, they're all on, had great, have, or are still having great, great careers on the PGA tour. So, you know, but I think I saw, I just like calculated the odds, like the odds of making it are low. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I quote unquote retired from competitive golf early. Now, of course, I played on, you know, now in my later stage of my career. 
uh, PGA of America stuff and all PGA that. PGA Tour events. Yeah, yeah you know. the, 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 like the upper, the upper level of professional golf, no but, big deal. But I haven't had to, uh, you know, the, I haven't, the, since I have a full-time job, like there's no pressure. Like I just go back to work if I don't play good. And that, that gave me like a lot of freedom, uh, you know, so to speak. But that one year was fun, uh, but I'm glad that I called it, quote-unquote called it quits after a year. I think it was a wise, wise decision. Was there a moment for you where you're just like, man, I want to be in in golf, but I cannot keep doing this? Like, was there a moment on the course or some where you where you had that? Yeah, it it was it was (laughs) it was missing Q school. It was missing Q school. You know, you got to pay like five grand or whatever, uh, which is so much money. I mean, it's more now. But yeah, yeah, but you know, and then all that and all the prep and there was so much pressure on myself. Like, you know, you get through Q school or you don't. It's like a binary thing. It's still kind of like that to some extent. But it, yeah, it was right when Q school was over. I was like, okay, you know, that's when you're, you're literally driving home. You miss first stage and then, uh, you know, trying to make some life decisions right there. <laughs> so I, I got to ask, because this is when I said I was envious, I'm envious of the fact that you're able to balance work, family, playing golf. Yeah. And like you play at a high level. I mean, as, as I mentioned, you've, you've qualified for, how many tour events have you now played in? Ooh, it's been over, including all the majors, been over ten. I think like eleven or twelve. Yeah, I mean, so, so you've yeah. you've played again at the upper at the upper rung of, of professional golf. Like, how do you balance it? How do you, how do you how do you manage to get all your stuff done in the office and then still kind of carve out time for family and also time to to get on the golf course and find yeah, the game? yeah, it's not it's not easy, but I think it's like uh, it's kind of like this concept of compound interest. You want to make like small investments over a long time, and then eventually it kind of adds up. And then I've treated my golf game much like, you know, at, at ping or doing engineering work, creative work. It's like more like you, you go on a sprint of deep work and then kind of rest and relax. And I've treated my golf game kind of like that a little bit too. Whereas like if I'm doing a big design project or working on a driver design or whatever ping, I go super deep, very concentrated work, a lot of hours. But you, it's you, you don't maintain that like a marathon over time. It's more mm. like a sprint. Yeah. And I've treated kind of treated my golf game a little bit like that. Like I'm always training. I try to keep my in good physical fitness, work on my mechanics, do some block practice putting. Like you keep this base level skill set. Try not to lose that. But then if I have those big tournaments coming up, so the ones that qualify for the PGA Championship, if I got the PGA Professional Championship coming up, I for like one month, six weeks ahead of that, like. I sprint, yeah. like train, speed train, work on my putting, work on my uh, all those skills you're going to need uh, to do good in that one tournament. So I've kind of been able to like flex it up, and then I I don't like play a lot of golf or do that much intense things in the winter time, for example. Here, and I really focus on work, family, and things of that nature. So I've just tried to like time it out where I can like go deep on my game for a little bit, and then like and then ramp it down. And then while I'm doing that, I'm ramping up my family time yeah. and ramping up my time on the creative creative side Maximize of work. Maximize that time. Yeah. yeah, and I almost feel like I look at like work life, instead of thinking of it as work-life balance, I kind of reframe it as like work-life blend. Cause it's like, it's, it's a good it's way like to look at it. Balance is like, you're always like trading one thing for the other, but yeah. it's really, you're trying to like blend it all together, you know? So that's kind of at least my, my mental model for it. This is this is turning into a, a parenting and, and learning how to balance life podcast. Yeah. I kind of like it. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a great way to look at it, yeah. though. I would imagine Ping's got to be pretty accepting of 
like if you want to chase that dream of qualifying yeah. for a tournament, like they've got to be pretty good about saying, look, like go do that. Like as long as you get your work done, you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I probably long before the COVID remote work days, I mean, I'd be at those tournaments. I'll be at the PGA championship playing and come home from the range and balls next to Tiger Woods and I'll be on my computer, like, <laughs> like doing some CAD work no and making deal. some prints and some drawings. Like that's what we do. And yeah. we have a lot of engineers that have played in USGA championships and things of that nature. And a hundred percent, they're going back to their hotel room and, and cranking out four or five hours of work yeah. after the round. Not fun. <laughs> uh, so I saw a tweet from you. This well, first off, what's your what's your Twitter handle for those that want to follow you that aren't already? Jerdy Bird. Okay, it's at Jerdy Bird. Make birdies on Twitter. On Twitter, <laughs> he he is he is a he's a great follow. But one of these and, and RB threw in a couple questions here. I'll I'll get his yeah. in as well. But we saw that you won a tournament with multiple golf balls. What the what the heck? So like far. how you got you got to tell this you got to one you got to tell this story and yeah. how did you just like wake up one day and be like are you, I'm gonna play two golf balls I'm gonna play multiple balls today and, and see how it goes like what what it, what happened yeah so it started with the at the U.S. Open locals I showed up to play U.S. Open locals at Southern Dunes and on the first tee I this is me being lazy not doing my homework um, ahead of ahead of time uh, but they're like hey the, by the way the one ball rule is not in effect today and I'm like I did like a triple take like huh I was like I. I've always wanted to be able to pl switch balls during the you round. Really, you have. Turn oh, yeah, because okay. I'm like well, – and we'll get into the reasons why. Yeah. And then fast forward like a couple weeks later, I went to the PGA Championship and Phil Mickelson had done it. Or some, he, he made a comment on Twitter or something like, oh, yeah, the one ball, ball rule is not in effect. So sure enough, right after that, I get home and I ask our tournament director here in the southwest section, PGA, hey, do we, are we playing by the one ball rule or not? He's like, no. PJ America is not adopting. I was like, oh yeah, I found that out at U.S. Open local. So I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, I've you if you <laughs> <laughs> my my brain just started going crazy. I was like, because I would definitely there's definitely a reason to switch balls on different holes for wind conditions. Yes, let's get into this. Yeah, and you and in our testing that we've done, which all drives like ball dynamic, our ball right. fitting solution some balls go a little further in a little shorter on irons. So if you're on a par three and I'm, this is, I'm still playing around with this. This is yeah. live research. My whole golf career is research. So it's are you, are experiment. you like researching where you're going to be playing and trying to figure out like, what's the best like golf ball formula here? Like which ball am I going to use on these holes yes. and, and for these? Totally. Okay. <clears throat> so I have a few things that I did in this one tournament that I won, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to expand it and be more nuanced about it when it comes to like par threes because some balls will go like five six seven yards shorter or longer than other balls so if you're between clubs on a par three you can just instead of one of the challenges for me being a working player is like i'm not good at the tweener yardages right like it takes a lot of practice but i know my gaps are like 13 yards between my irons and if so if i'm right in between six iron seven iron you could hit the seven with the ball that goes further the six with the ball that goes shorter i love if this. the greens are not firm yeah, yeah as soon as the greens get firm you got to consider that a little bit more but summertime in arizona usually they're kind of softish they got to water them a lot to keep keep them alive yep so in this tournament i played i played a different ball for into the wind the the, the easiest thing to do is play a different ball for into the wind versus downwind so into the wind, I play a golf ball that flies aerodynamically lower and spins a little bit less, but it's more about the aerodynamics, kind of a combination of spin and aerodynamics, that flies lower 
and it would A, go further into the wind, and B, go less offline, so it goes straighter. And then if you get on a downwind hole, you want to, you, you could, and this is what I did, you can play a ball that flies higher and or spins more, but it's really kind of flies higher. Right. But I also wanted a ball that, uh, that spun a lot on wedge shots because those holes I played, I would drive it way down there. Then at this tournament I played had firmish greens, and I want a ball that spins a lot on the wedge shots. So I went to I went to Balnamic and I put in all those inputs. I was like, I need the ball that does this off the tee downwind, and I needed to it's spin amazing. a lot on my wedge shots. And so yeah, I used I used three different balls, and I will probably expand that to be between three and five, depending on the course in the in the tournament. Three to five golf balls. I mean, I would think for somebody at at your level. You can do that, but for the average golfer, like I would think they would probably internally combust if the, if they had to try and uh, yeah figure that out. I think the average golfer could play two though. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think yeah, they could. I think two would be very reasonable, like a downwind ball and into the wind ball. Yeah, that that would be the like easiest way to go about it. Yeah. Um, but if if like yeah, we I can use my my research and balnamic stuff and everything, but get a little more into into the weeds. The whole thing is trying to get gain that little tiny edge, like which is so you know important I mean? in golf. Oh, it's so important, and you want to stack those up. Yeah, I just I love that. I love that you're even considering like maybe going up to five different golf balls. The t the time that you do that, you need to let me know, and I just want to come out and watch. So I did this tournament I played. I would bring multiple balls and multiple clubs to the tee box. So it's like one more variable. You know, you walk up to the part three, like bring three clubs, and the winds switch around. And you're like, you know, you got them there. Well, now I was bringing. I brought uh a couple tee shot clubs and a couple balls and so i'm trying to pair the right club ball combination for mm. the particular tee shot that's so awesome <laughs> i i love it i i'm too much of a head case i would never be able to make that happen i'm just i'm struggling just to keep the balls in my golf bag with me yeah for the entire yeah. round and then you know if i'm losing i'm like yeah. oh, where can i where can i get another ball but but jay well think about this man like we like a ball is uh, can effectively spin like 400 RPMs less. If you mm -hmm. can, I call it effective spin because both the spin and aerodynamics, and then you could have another ball that effectively flies like it has 400 RPMs more. So you get on one hole, you get downwind into the wind, you can get effectively like an 800 RPM difference, which would be like playing a driver that has a couple degrees more or less loft. Yeah, I mean that that's really what you're doing. Hi everyone. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Marty and we're going to get back to it in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Pride because Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't just a grip. It's a key performance part of your golf clubs, all the way from your driver down to your wedges and even into your putters. And studies have proven that when you have the right grips on your golf clubs, you're going to hit it further. The reason being you have something that is fitting in your hands for comfort, for size, for texture, and even for taper. Because you have to think about the way that grips are sized. Some grips will taper differently. And when you have that right fit in your hands, you're going to swing the golf club better. Now, another thing I got to let you know, all of the men's majors so far this year have been won by players that have used Golf Pride grips. Now, there's a lot of different options out there. You don't necessarily have to use one that's used by someone who is winning major championships. But if you are looking for absolute performance, you've got grips like the MCC and the Z grip. The MCC offers hybrid technology, which a lot of people are familiar with, because it offers cord in the top hand and a softer material in the bottom hand, your ungloved hand. So you're not going to get a huge amount of uncomfort when you are using that grip or you're going to get a lot more traction. 
The also there's grips like the CPX or the CP2. Now the CPX is the softest performance grip from Golf Pride. What they do is they use a bunch of different surface textures to help reduce hand pressure and tension. So you can swing the golf club faster when you're reducing tension, but you're also going to get more comfort. So you get less sting when you happen to miss hit a shot, which I think is really important because if you are out there practicing a lot, it's going to give you that option to keep practicing longer and hopefully play a little bit better golf as well. Now, if you are looking to try any of these grips or you're looking to learn more about Golf Pride grips, go to golfpride.com to look at the entire selection, including, like I said earlier, putter grips. And if you use the code fully equipped, that is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, you get free shipping on your next order from golfpride.com. That is available for all orders within the United States, and there's no minimum purchase required. So head over to golfpride.com to check out the full selection and use code fully equipped for free shipping. Now, back to the interview with Marty. It's funny that you're mentioning the the golf ball because we just released robotic ball testing with with Gene Branty and you know going through all the data mm. it's really fascinating I mean you're you're using the same golf club the same delivery for every ball yeah but there was a there was a much wider delta on the 50 yard wedge shot that we had the oh, robot yeah. yeah versus driver like driver launch for the 40 balls we tested was less than a degree. Um, I think spin was like around 600 RPMs across yeah, the board. I mean, it's, it's pretty right. tight in which leads me to believe that, as you mentioned, like you're looking for a ball that spins, like a lot of those balls in the, in the 40 spun, but some of them don't. And like, that's, I think this is, and I highlighted this because not everybody has, has a fitter or somebody that they trust that can do ball yeah. testing. I, and I mentioned the other place to go would be ballfitting.com. You mentioned Ballnamic, yeah. and you're heavily involved in that. And you've yep. mentioned it a little bit. That's how you were able to figure out which balls to use on these golf courses. Just just discuss it. You and, you and I did a pod on it, but for those maybe that didn't listen to that one and that are curious now yeah. that we're releasing this data, like what is Ballnamic and like how can it help golfers? Even, even though it's an, an algorithm for online, which yep. some people are always highly skeptical about like, how beneficial could an online algorithm be versus yep. me being out there? Like what, what's the benefits? Yeah. So you mentioned Joe, like you guys did your robot testing and you saw the 600 RPM Delta on drivers. Well, think about that on your driver fitting. Like exactly. You, you, you change, you change the loft of your driver by one degree. That's like 250 RPMs yep. or a ballpark. Okay. So golf ball, that's why you want to pair your club fitting and your ball fitting together. It's like, you've been on this podcast before, man. You know what we, I mean? We, we you just talk about this. those two yep. things together because um, like 600 RPMs might not sound like a, like a lot, but that's like three degrees different on your driver loft. That'd be like going for like, like a nine degree driver to a 12. So yeah. it's, that is a ton. And then you layer on the aerodynamic changes uh, on top of that. So Balnamic is a solution that we came up with to a it's a it's a it's a fun way to learn if nothing else how to think about golf balls because we modeled the process flow. And anyone can go through and do and, and and kind of go through the interview slash questionnaire process. We modeled it so uh, after how PGA Tour players think about what's important to them in their golf ball. So, like for example, Tony Finau switched to our G400 Max driver. He loved it. Uh, this is like four or five years ago, but it spun too much. It right. spun a couple hundred RPMs too much. Which for a tour balloony. pro is is a lot. Yeah, they see that little, at his ball speed, especially you see that little balloon. You're like, oh, I want to get that out of there, but everything about the driver is perfect. Mm. What did he do? Did we change his driver? No, he switched to a different ball that flew a little bit lower. So you can do that exact same thing in Ballnamic. You you can go in there 
you, there's a couple pathways to do it. Um, a more technical pathway and an easier pathway. You can go to your fitter, or a lot of people have their own launch monitors now nowadays with the Garmin R10s yeah. and the Mevo Pluses or what have you. Get your driver in seven iron launch conditions. That's the best way to go through it. So that, and all we need is ball speed, launch, and spin. And, you know, hit five good shots, 10 good shots, get your average ball speed, launch, and spin for your stock driver and your stock seven iron. You also account for elevation, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that feature is really cool. So you go in there, you put in your launch conditions, and we have algorithms that if you put it in your launch conditions and you say, say, I don't know whether, one of the questions is, well, do you need to hit your driver higher or lower? And if you put in your launch conditions, it will tell you if you should need to hit your. I've played your around with this feature higher. so yeah, much. Exactly. It's so cool. So it's intelligent. Yeah. It's like having a fitter or me or our team there investigating it. So that's the whole like, oh, it feels like you're abstract when you're in your house online going through that alone. But the, the algorithms are super intelligent. It's like having our collective brains of ping, uh, you know, uh, proving grounds researchers kind of doing that with you. And then you type in your uh, zip code if you're in the US. And we'll calculate your average temperature and elevation that you're at. Because a lot of people are like, oh, man, I don't know what elevation I'm at or what my average temperature is. You can override it or nudge it. Or you can go through it. If you, if you buy Balnamic, you can go through it a few times. Let's say you're going on a buddy trip to Bandon. You can put in there, sea level, hey, wind is super important for me. I don't need to spin around the greens as much. And get a different ball recommendation that you might have. At your home course yeah so you go through that on your driver then you put in your irons and then do you need steeper or shallower landing angle do you play in windy conditions then you do what you saw which we we corroborated too jonathan was which was do you what about like full wedge uh spin green side spin even down to like the putting feel side of things and then like flyers one of the big things on golf balls is a lot like our finishes on our wedges in irons that we do is that they have different uh, you know, skin properties and hydrophobicity properties. So some are better at, at retaining spin uh, when you introduce moisture or grass than other balls. So we kind of ask that question. And then you get a rank ordered list of the top four to six balls, which will be a good consideration for you. And then you can, you, the individual can compare and contrast which ones might be better and which properties. Like, oh, I really care about driver distance. That's important to me. You can go try that ball. Or I really want to eliminate flyers. Or I really want a ball that's better in the wind. Or how it feels off the putter is really important to me. You can go to that results section and pick which ball or try a couple of them and, and go test them for yourself. It's all the questions that a tour pro is asking themselves as they're testing it, golf exactly. balls. But it's exactly. the questions that I would say the average golfer isn't considering like how does the golf ball feel coming off the putter face? Yes. Or do I like a do I like a more muted sound or a little bit of a clickier exactly. sound? And no, it, it asks all the right questions, but again, it it's so intuitive. And the fact that you can change it, as you said, like if you're going on a buddy's trip, maybe you shouldn't be playing the yeah. golf ball you normally play at home, but it makes you think about it instead yeah. of just, you know, packing whatever golf ball you normally play. And when you get so the, here somebody might want to be like, Well, hey Marty, how do you do this thing like you if I'm gonna play two balls in one yeah, for how sure. do you do that? Yeah, you can go to the results page and simulate or get get ball flight simulations, and so you could put in a ball that flies high, a ball that flies low. Uh, you can uh, go through the survey. This is what I did for me. So this is how you ha kind of hack your way to uh, maybe a downwind into the wind situation under driver height. You put that you want to minimize it, 
and you would put that uh, windy conditions is super important to you, and you'll get a ball that does better into the wind. Then you, you can go. go in there and say, put driver height, you need maximum, wind's not important, and you'll get a ball off the tee that flies higher and, and it will be better downwind. And you can get flight simulation specific to you uh, if you put your launch conditions in. Now, you don't need to have launch condition numbers to go through Balnamic. You can right. go in there and say you have not been on a monitor. You can say, oh, I hit my driver about this far. I tend to launch it kind of high-ish and spin it kind of low-ish. And we'll kind of guesstimate it's your launch close. conditions. I've, I've, I was trying to guesstimate before, yeah. and it's like, man, it's actually within within a couple of yards of, of my normal numbers. Exactly. So, yeah, it is very intuitive. Yep. All right. So switching from golf ball. So before you got into your current role, you were on the club design side. And I got to know, how much do you miss being in the weeds on the club design side? I do. I I do miss it at times, like the the ideation, you know, side, which is like expressing the creativity of trying to think of a, a, a solution outside the box. But our team there is phenomenal right now. You know, it's kind of like, I, I kind of there's some really smart dudes oh, in that man. building. <laughs> I mean, uh, one of them, Corey Bacon, who went to School of Mines also, and he worked for me as an intern, and I kind of mentored him a little bit. But it's like at some point the student surpasses teacher, and I love that. We definitely have that model at Ping, where you, you know, golf club design. It's it's so nuanced. You can't go to school to learn golf club design. You know, uh, you you have to have a good technical skill set. You want to be super creative. You want to be tu- in touch and have the empathy of the end golfer. And, and and try to converge all those things to to have solutions. So it's a really good model for this, like having an apprentice apprenticeship model. And so um, we've built a team there, like Corey being one example, Travis Millman, great player, Ryan Stokey, all this the, this team of engineers and designers that are there. I mean, I can the list of names could go on and on. It's all, I almost feel like students have surpassed teacher. Which is, and I like love you said, it. that's what you want. I love it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And those guys are doing such an awesome job. But I'm still involved in the ideation, and we're still involved. We have a weekly meeting that we we geek out, Jonathan, over golf physics topics that, either, that could drive, like, innovation, fitting solutions, design solutions. I'm super plugged into that. That's, like, yeah. my favorite meeting of the week. I love it. Uh, RB, this was an RB question. He wanted to know, what's your favorite project you've worked on? during your time on the, on the club side, man, that's, I've worked on so many of them. I think I always go back and say like my very first product I worked on, which was the rapture hybrid was like super fun and memorable. It's like maybe like an author writing their first book type of thing. Um, but my, I think drivers were the most fun. They're the hardest, but they're the most rewarding. And I worked on a lot of drivers over the years, I 20 and things of that nature. I, my, my two favorites and maybe I could pick between them would be the G, 30 driver. This is the introduction of turbulators. This is when we came out with like having one model with different variants to it. So that's when we came out with SF tech and LS tech, uh, and having turbulators. I think we, we were doing really good in drivers, but it's right when that G 30 came out, really put us on the map. And then G 410, I worked on that one. My last driver designer was the chief engineer was trying to have that empathy where like, Tour players, I mean, they would come in and the driver's drawn a little and we hot melt it and put a little weight in the toe. And I was like, well, the everyday golfer can't get that. Like that frustrated me. I feel like my role is like to take what the tour player can get and deliver it to the everyday golfer. 
And so that's where we brought that CG shifter in. Is it and, tough to do that as, as a designer when you're designing golf clubs and you realize like some of these better player offerings are geared for the tour pros, but you're also, I mean, there's such a small sliver of, of who you're catering to because a majority of who you're designing this club for, but is that, is that difficult to do? Yeah, it, it, it is. So I think it, we have to, you have to like carve time to like think, uh, you know, like what it could be valuable to the everyday golfer that, that the tour player is getting access to. So I think when it comes to drivers, the practical example was um, like our, our uh, chairman, John Solheim, he, he would always fit into an LST driver because he, he comes over the top like a lot of golfers out there and hits a high spin fade. So he needs a low spin driver that draws. Well, guess what? I mean, the LST in the draw is his fitting. Right. And, and otherwise it's like, well, uh, you know, those type of players might not need low spin. He was a player that needed low spin yep. and some that turned over easier with the CG in the, in the heel. So it's like the perfect example of like the value of kind of thinking that way and bring that solution to the market. Has there been a project where you were expecting result and it either failed or led to another success down the road? Like, like a learning that really that sticks with you. Oh man. Like tons like that. Yeah. Like, I think that's all we do is like fail and learn. Like it's like, that's, that's the meat of, uh, like teaches you a lot about life, not base. to get like philosophical here, no, but, exactly. but yeah, you know, no, yeah. I feel like a lot of really successful people like yourself included, like failure is a huge part of yeah. what you do. Like yeah. you fail, you get back up, you're resilient, you try it again, you try and figure it out. Yeah, it's and like the you're like addicted to it. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? for it's sure. Like, so I think our team at Ping and my, myself being on that team and engineers were like, we 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 wanna like all like you open one door of unknown or a failure and it, it you you it's like you it opens the door for like five to ten more questions you don't know the answer to. So I, I think one example that comes to mind this is when my early days of ping of, you know, idea, maybe it's an idea that failed was like, I was like, Oh man, we should try to, we need lower spin on the driver, like to have it go further. So I was like, Oh, let's mirror polish the face of the driver. Because if you did that on a wedge, it lowers the spin. Yeah. So you do it on the driver, man, that's going to be great. Let's do it. So we took a driver and we like mirror polish it, got it all smooth, go down put it on the ping man robot. Let's see what's going to happen. And, you know, we're going to get the spin down from 3,500 to 22 and the ball is going to go 20 yards further. And we hit it and the spin went to like 5,000 RPM. And we're like, huh? What in the world? <laughs> so that was the first, that's an example where you get this like unintended consequence. Right. You, you're, you weren't even expecting. No. Yeah, you like, get the exact opposite. The world? You get the exact yeah, opposite. Yeah. Well, then some people are like, well, you put chapstick on the face, that then the spin goes down. Well, that's a totally different mechanism of action. Well, that one little quick trial we did in like an hour, you know, two or two hours, polish this thing, put on the robot, hit it, open the door to research that has led to knowing a lot about friction, how the ball complies with the face. And actually, you know, we have a solution now where if you feel the texture on the face of our drivers, it's rough. Yes. So actually, if you make it rougher on a low lofted club, you reduce spin. This has to do with the timing of the ball interacting with the face, the compliance, the little tangential forces that oscillate while the ball's on the face. And we have really good predictive models and a deep level of understanding of that 
and what you need to do on low lofted clubs and then how you want to change your engineering solution and your R&D on high lofted clubs, right? And, and it explains flyers and, and then we pair that with golf balls and how you, you know, if you really don't want to eliminate flyers, you would take a, a club with our hydrophobic finish and our group Micromax grooves and you pair it with a ball that has really good water repelling properties. So there's the you know even it even opened the door even more, but it all came from that one opening that one, one door. Yeah, you know, like totally failing on that one, but yeah, it opens up like you said five ten plus yeah. questions. It's it's you want to incentivize learning, right? And there's really no failure. It's like you incentivize the learning, and that's what we do at Ping. That that's what makes the culture so fun. So you, I know you're still involved on on the club side, but as I mentioned at the top, your new role is your VP of fitting and performance. Yeah. Like what, what does your day-to-day look like now compared to when you were just like on the club side? I feel like my, in gen, like to, to very high level simplify it is like I, like my early in my career, I was working on hardware, like clubs, physical things, CAD, you know, and now I'm working on like software <laughs> and code and intelligence and widgets and AI and all this type of stuff. That's a very high level simplification. But uh, my role though now is we we help scope for the designs, new designs, what are the fitting requirements? Like, so for example, we'll use iPing, our putter fitting app. We'll go in there. We'll look at the distribution of tempo ratios, uh, face rotations, setup live. We'll go in there. We're, we're scoping out, hey, how much loft do we need on an arm lock putter? We went into our iPing database, mined it, and said, hey, everyone who uses arm lock delivers with a certain this amount of dynamic loft. So we go mine that data. And then we'll feed that to the designer. So we're kind of like a, a consultancy into the design process, which is really fun. And then we have a team of like data scientists, like my colleague Chris Brody and others, they go in the name Brody, by the way, the first time I met him and I'm like, <laughs> man, Brody, like, like Mark Brody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're like, uh, yeah, as in. Yeah. So Chris, his, he's, as his he's child. got a fun story. <laughs> when, when Mark was working on his book and strokes gained, he like, this is before technology and apps and in Shotlink, he would be at the, his, uh, their home course in New York, yeah. like charting shots and calculating strokes gained and, and things of that nature for his dad. So he's got his hands on, but he's a mathematician. So he'll do, th- we'll do things like mine our art. We have, you know, kind of tons of Arcos data on course play data. That sounds great, but like we're the team that asks questions of the data. Right. Like what can we do with it? Where are people on the golf course when they play golf? And, we, and like just a, a very practical example, we designed the G430 irons. We found that almost every golfer out there, regardless of which tee box you tee off, the peak of their bell curve of where they hit a lot of their shots is from like, 135 to 165 yards centered around 145 or 150 well we noticed the way we were doing our loft configurations we kind of were creating a a little bit too big of a distance gap right in that zone okay so we could go answer those questions we want tighter gaps where people are playing more golf so we're doing a lot of data analysis and then jonathan we're building a lot of tools software tools like Ballnamic, which allows the everyday golfer to get access to ball fitting, um, just like the PGA Tour player. And then we support iPing, our putter fitting app and tool. And then we have a brand new tool we're building for accounts uh, called Copilot, Ping Copilot. So our fitting accounts can go in there and they have access to these. Copilot, RB, like is, RB is used a little bit. You can ask him about it. 
And we have things like uh, we've solved like gapping, what are optimal launch uh, conditions for a driver, what's a good spin rate in your irons, like all these big questions that fitters and then ultimately our end customer have, need answers to, we've, we've solved those within Ping Copilot. So like, how do you find optimal launch and spin? I know you're all about the, our, our driver chart, yes. which gives you angle of attack and ball speed. Because before that, man, nobody knew what the good launch conditions were. We, we couldn't figure out why does Cameron Champ appear to launch it so low, but it's actually a really perfect fit for him. It's because he hits down on the ball. So you, you're going to spin it more, and that actually is perfect, right? And so we've solved within Ping Copilot, the, our funnest new app that we've solved, uh, uh, like absolutely solves club gapping and makes it super easy to do without having to hit all your clubs. You go in there, you hit like five good seven irons, you get your launch condition numbers, you type them in the app, you answer all kinds of other questions, kind of like Balnamic, and we, we predict more accurately than if you hit all those clubs, how far you're going to hit your five iron, your six iron, your seven iron, eight, nine wedge, pretty with a re really good accuracy, how you'll hit like hybrids and high lofted fairway woods. And within like two minutes, you can do a super accurate full bag gapping. And do like what if experiments? Like, well, what if I hit a high? You guys are just making the game iron. easier for average golfers, which is so nice because these are all the questions that I get all the time. All the time, like golf gapping. ball gapping. Exactly. Yeah, like all the ones. How should where, I yeah, build my bag? Bag exactly. And so we built this amazing tool. Our fitters are absolutely loving that. Eventually, we'll we'll find a way to kind of pass that directly yeah. to the consumer. But right now, our fitters are kind of using it to optimize and build like perfect gapping without having to hit all those clubs. You're just a giant tease, Marty. You know what I mean? Hi, everyone. Hope you're still enjoying the interview with Marty. And we're going to get back to it in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that Fully Equipped is also brought to you by Callaway Apparel. Callaway makes apparel to excel at one thing, and that is golf. And they take pride in outfitting golfers with the right style and comfort and the performance so you can be out there looking and playing your best. Now, did you know that Callaway Apparel is made by Perry Ellis? So you know they know how to make great apparel that is packed with innovation and Callaway wouldn't put anything out the door if it didn't meet their high quality standards and apparel is absolutely no different. Now, some of the cool tech features that they have is Swing Tech, which puts uh, a lot more flexibility into certain parts of the seam. OptiDry for moisture wicking. They also got UV sunblock protection to help your skin stay safe because you are outside. Cal uh, golf is an outdoor sport. So you want to make sure that you're staying safe in the sun. Now, I want to talk about this because I think this is really cool because as you might have listened to in a, a previous podcast, when I went, I went to St. Andrews uh, early this year and the one piece of one, one of many pieces that I actually brought was my Callaway rain gear. They don't get the credit they deserve for their rain gear because look, I traveled all that way and I was not going to mess up any possibility of having a round of golf screwed up by not having rain, there, rain gear that wasn't going to perform for me. And the thing that I really liked about it was the swing tech because you know, when you're wearing rain gear and you're just, you're, you're bundled up in layers, you might be a little bit cold and you want the most amount of flexibility that you possibly have. And when I had the chance to play St. Andrews and play some other golf over there, I was wearing my Callaway rain gear and I loved it. And I think if, if you are looking for something that's going to offer a lot of performance as well as a lot of value compared to a lot of the rain gear on the market, I think the stuff from Callaway is a great option. 
So no matter what your favorite color style pattern or whatever it happens to be, Callaway has you covered for every fit and size for both men and women. Now, if you are looking to shop some Callaway apparel, you can use the code C-A-L-F-E-20 at CallawayApparel.com for 20% off. That is C-A-L-F-E-20 at CallawayApparel.com. Now let's get back to the interview with Marty. The last time I was at Ping and, and we were talking and um, I said, look, dude, we got to get you on the, we got to get you on the podcast yeah, because I want to talk about this topic, loft jacking. Oh yeah. So the, I would say like a top five question or, or I shouldn't say question, but a top five comment I get on new gear when it comes out is, is, oh, what's the loft? Well, that, that pitching wedge loft isn't really, isn't really a real pitching wedge loft. It's just, they're just loft jacking these golf clubs to make the ball yeah. go further and juicing, juicing these golf clubs, and it's it's just it's a stain on the game, and it, typically it's just within the irons is where we hear the, the term loft jacking yeah. before. You and I talked about this. There's a reason. There's a reason why some of these manufacturers have to build in stronger lofts to dial in these clubs. Like, let's talk about this and kind of be be a mythbuster here because people are going to be listening to this rolling their eyes going oh man here we go loft jacking you're going to try and tell me why it's not really happening but for for real i mean it's not yeah. it's not just strengthening the clubs to make the ball go more you know 10 10 to 15 more yards yeah yeah i think it's a it's a very important question i think number 1 i try to look at golf in terms of like the long term history of the game like you know back in the days you you went like you know, pitching wedge, sand wedge, like there was two wedges, right? And then what was it? Maybe 20 years ago, like the gap wedge kind of snuck in there. Well, now lofts have gotten a little bit stronger. And then, you you know, folks are squeezing in one more wedge. I think the more important thing, Jonathan, is to care less about if, if golfers could care less about the specific lofts and more about how those clubs perform on the golf course. Right, I think that's the more important thing. Like the 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 set configurations have changed so much. Like, yes, lofts have gotten stronger, but we've been able to design them at ping at least to be able to we call it loft flex. So add loft dynamically while the ball's on the face. That might seem like an abstract con uh, concept. But imagine the ball, and this is how our G430 irons and, and some of our other irons work. While the ball's on the face, the, the face is flexing back, relaxing, kind of like you're jumping on a diving board. And it has a little bit of trampoline effect, but it's mostly relaxing back and launching the ball in the air with an initial launch angle that's about two degrees higher uh, that to make the, that makes the iron perform like as if it had two degrees more loft on it than it actually does. Right, and that's kind of the secret of our you know our G series irons. They launch way higher than the lofts actually say. Right. So stop fixating on the lofts on these golf clubs when you're looking at the specs and and thinking that that's how that ball is going to be coming out. Exactly. So I think our our G series irons. Uh, we in our, we we kind of separate our irons into two different categories. Like one where you, the player, brings the speed. We call those our precision irons. That's I-59, that's Blueprint, that's I-230. This is what most, almost exclusively, all of our tour players and LPG and LPGA tour players use. Like I-230, I-210 is the most popular iron on the LPGA tour by a mile. 
and has been for quite some time. I think that'd be a good market for most golfers to kind of look at which which clubs to use. That's where the players bring in the speed. Then you get into our yeah. G730, G, G430 iron, G710. And that's where we need the club to kind of supplement the speed of the player, right? And, and, and that's where we design those to have a little bit more face flex. Those are super valuable to a lot of golfers because they help them hit. If you can help a golfer hit an 8-iron instead of a 7-iron, they're going to hit it closer to the hole. There's some physics involved with the like the spin loft uh, type of thing where if you have more, more loft, shorter shaft length, and you have some face variability, uh, that's going to lead to a tighter dispersion on that golf club. So we're doing things to kind of, uh, and, and then relative to previously the industry has brought in, and us included, high lofted hybrids. So you can make that transition easier. Easier. That's where this gapping app within Copilot has made that super easy to do and f- figure out what's the longest iron in the bag you should play. And then high lofted fairway woods. I mean, even on the tour, I know that, you know, it might not be the best example for the everyday player, but so many high lofted fairway woods and the tour players use them at shorter lengths and to get that ball in the air more. So I would worry less about the lofts and more about how your clubs perform, what you need to get out of them, what's the longest iron you should play. And just know that at least at the ping side, we're doing a lot of things to make sure you're not going to have those big gaps in the wedges. Right. And that's the most important thing is to kind of have that good transition right there between your between your nine iron into your wedges. Because because a lot of golfers are going to have a lot of shots in that range. Hopefully people out there are listening and, and taking that to heart because, I mean, really, it's it's how these clubs are designed. That it's, Stop focusing on the lofts, bottom we, line. We, we have a goal, for example, Jonathan, where like our I, you know, blueprint iron, I-230 iron, when we sit down and design that iron, we have a goal that they must gap, you know, for the target player. So they hit a six iron, seven iron, seven iron, eight iron, eight iron, nine iron, nine iron pitching wedge. The yardage gaps between those must be perfectly even within plus or minus a yard or two. And that's like a firm design goal that we have. So I think the everyday golfer, you know, can know, especially on those type of irons, we pay a lot of attention to the the gapping. And we do things with both the loss, the face flexing, the lengths of the irons is a really big deal. You can't just make irons stronger, not lengthen them, you know. Uh, because then you'll start hitting them way too low. So you want to kind of bl- marry and blend all those things. And we, we've evolved our shaft lengths to not just be linear, like starting past the seven iron with our distance irons. They start to grow more than a half inch per per club to give you a little more speed, a little more dynamic loft. So in addition to working on computers and AI and algorithms in your day job, <laughs> you're also working on something that involves brute strength you brought me some sweet shirts man i love this got you the, some merch. stack system i love these shirts those maybe watching the video of, of this interview can check these out so this has been an an interesting couple of years for i always say like three four years for for especially on the professional side because you know bryson with like getting big yeah. and, and bulking up and everybody started chasing distance. And, you know, we saw guys go, this is before the USGA put a limit on driver length. Just like everybody going to try and try and 48 yeah. because it was possibly Bryson talked about doing it at, at Augusta. Yep. And, you know, that was something that we were, people were talking about. It's like, how can we get more distance? Yeah. And the stack system is really cool because 
you can do it without having to try go to like a really long <laughs> length, which for the average golfer is terrifying. I would imagine yeah. trying to trying to go yeah. to you know forty six or you know you trying to go to the basically the top end of the legal limit. But what? How did you get involved with the stack system? And for those that aren't quite familiar with it, like what what is it and how can it help? Arby loves it. Oh he, yeah, he loves he it. Is, he is a he's, he's a, a stack system disciple. Exactly. But yeah, what how did you get involved in and what's what's it going to do for the golfer that maybe wants to gain some speed? Yeah, so this the stack system was a is a company that uh Dr. Sasha McKenzie, who we are kind of tagged him as the savant of speed. He's like it. the biomechanist behind, you know, Chris Como and everything he's taught and we know everyone, you know, he's taught, you know, obviously Tiger, Bryson, everyone, everyone in that nature. But he's like the the deepest thinker from a biomechanics standpoint. And he's a ping engineering consultant. So a lot of our fitting philosophies and shaft research and putter hang angle stuff, he's he's helped crack the code and give give the whole industry a deeper uh biomechanist bio understanding of what's going on. And so he came to to ping, he came to us with this idea that you know because the idea of speed training sounds easy oh train speed well, well what do you actually do <laughs> I mean, swing, it's like, swing faster go lift weights you <laughs> yeah. know like well what do you do like how many sets should you do what reps should you do how many days of rest do you need like there needs to be some science brought into it you don't just go throw some weights around like yes doing that might help you a little bit but if you progress let's say jonathan you want to you want to increase your bench press like if you go on a very scientific plan or protocol that's going to be miles more effective than you just going in there once a day throwing some weights up right like there needs sure. to be a method to this to this thing so there sasho had had done some research in his lab where he you you know it's it's kind of overload overspeed training but he showed that if you're very scientific about the amount of overload and overspeed that you get somebody to do, you can unlock their their um, speed gains like super effectively. Like Matt Fitzpatrick? Like Matt Fitzpatrick, who <laughs> couldn't break 170 ball speed two years ago, two and a half years ago. He's a fascinating case study in, in finding ways to unlock speed the right way versus... That's the thing. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I'm not against, and Sasha's not against. I mean, his whole his whole background is in, you know, he's a track and field coach and 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 weightlifting coach. You're we're we're definitely not against like the fitness side of golf, but it can only take you so far. Like you work out to prevent injury, feel good, give you potential for more distance. You can gain distance through working out. But if you want to get faster, you you're you're like limited. Like there's been players on the PGA tour. Uh, Scott Stallings, who got super fit, he feels great, he looks great. He doesn't. I don't think he regrets that, but he lost speed when he got big. You know what I mean? Bigger and stronger. Yeah. If you're not, you need to train speed. So that's a totally separate skill than strength. And so the stack system is a scientifically rigorous approach that allows you to train and gain clubhead speed. And so it's 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 a cool piece of hardware. So it's one club with five little weights on it. I designed it. Um, and How long did it take to design? It not not terribly long, but the, the on the mechanical side. But Sasho had done a lot of the research and the math to figure out exactly all the loads we need, because it's really the, that's where he had done all the research on that. Like, hey, we it's hybrid length, but when you swing it with our like our default 
weights on it, 195 grams on it, it has the same kind of load as your driver, if that makes sense. Okay. So that's, um, and, and so it's, it's five weights that all kind of fasten on. The app tells you exactly what to do. It tells you which weights to put on. It has a timer in there for when to swing because rest periods are super important. You don't want to train too often. You don't want to go too long in between training. Like, for example, we had Victor Hovland doing it, which he, him and Matt Fitzpatrick were the top two players that gained the most club at speed on the PJ Tour last year, both using the stack. Well, Victor got on it, and he was training, like, every day. And he's, Sasha could see his data because we got this coach's solution. He's like, uh... You don't want to do that. That'd be like going to lift weights every day. Right, right. Like in doing your bench press every day. You need to rest. <laughs> like yeah. so um so there's very scientific rest periods. Like you don't if you do, in it, and if you do it too often, we have this score in the app called your grit score. Your grit score will go down. That's like your grade. Has nothing to do with you gaining speed. It'd be it just has, a little bit of a heads up like has hey. to do with how well you stick to yeah. the programming. So the stack has been it's been unbelievable, Jonathan. Like we, we now are approaching having 25,000 people on the app training. The average person gains six miles an hour in six weeks. Six miles an hour. Let That's me, the just, average. I'm going to repeat that, yeah. That's the average. Yeah. We have wow. this one guy, um, Josh Axler, who's, who's gained like 20, he gained 20 miles an hour in one year because he did one training program. Did you wonder if, if like the program was, you know, duplicating or yeah, doubling up we his... like we, we called him yeah, like yeah. hey dude. and he's like yeah he got better at golf his handicap went from like a six to scratch like all these type of things like literally bombing it um so yeah, like the six is the average like some people gain way way more i should and, probably get on this oh yeah you got it and not it's just so a easy. t-shirt i might yeah, need no, to, yeah, yeah yeah you got it and it and the app makes it super incentivizing so when you're swinging let's say you set a personal record with a weight the app like cheers for you which is really cool, right? Awesome. You can put reminders to your phone. You can share your profile with a buddy. You can start a little speed contest. Let's say with your college buddies, you're like all kind of aging, losing speed. Hold yourself accountable. You can share your code with them, follow each other, start a little speed contest. We have a solution out there that is really good for coaches too. So they could train their members at their course and put them on there and, and have like one stack at their course and train them. So it's been incredible. Like, yeah, Fitzpatrick went from like not being able to break 170 ball speed to now you watch him on TV every weekend. He's like 180, 182. He's got, he's got speed now. He he's got is speed long. He literally went from short to long, and you he did made no other real changes in his mechanics per se. You've already sold me on it. I'm going to need to get on board. Um, all right, back to the club side. What? What is the sleeper club in this year's lineup? In your opinion, uh, I'm gonna say our G man. I gotta go with the G430 driver, even though it might not feel like a any of the models. Even though it might not feel like a sleeper, like we're driver. You know, we're like big time in drivers. It's got ball speed this year, man. It's the combination of ball, like net ball speed, and the acoustics, phenomenal. Like we're we're not shying away from the fact that you know some a lot of people love the 425, but they're like, man, I wish it sounded a little better. It sounds awesome. 430 sounds awesome. All the models, Max, LST, everything. And then my favorite part is bringing in the spin consistency, and that is this design technique that we use with our modeling capabilities, where if you hit it low on the face. 
Like the thing you like I hate as a tournament player is like you get on a hole, quartering wind into the wind, gotta hit it pretty straight, and you thin it. And you're like, oh no, and you look up, it kind of balloons and kind of goes offline. With like the 430 driver is this magical solution called spinsistency. Now you thin it, and the driver has a calculated perfect amount of less loft, and you don't get that spike and spin is drastically reduced. So you look up, it launches lower, doesn't balloon. You're like, oh, yes, I've been saved. <laughs> it's so nice. I remember testing it for the first time, and I saw that on on those low hits. And you're going, whoa, you sure that? are you sure that spin rate's something something going yeah. on? You tap tap the screen a little bit? Because, exactly. yeah, it, it almost is coming out closer to, to like center, geometric center contact. Exactly. And yeah. it has higher ball speed low on the face, too. It does. So it's like effectively we have the it's like as if we made the moi like 20 percent higher without doing that like we, we just did it through the face design so i think the cool part for the listener is like we're doing things to make the club more forgiving um you know in you can do that in a variety of ways you know and yeah. this was with face shape optimiz- optimization all right couple more for you because i we could probably go for we could go for <laughs> hours um what is ping doing better than their competitors right now that you are the most proud of? I think we stay very focused on like what's going to help the golfers play their best. And because we're a privately owned company and we kind of march to our own beat in that regard. And I, I think it it's what helps us make really good decisions and feel good about the decisions we make. Like G430 iron, we introduced the new wedge into the bag because that Arcos data and helping golfers uh, hit better shots on the golf course, we kind of ruffled some feathers with like the fitting network. Like, oh, you guys added a new wedge in the bag. But, you know, I think when we educated our fitters about it, we could educate the end golfer like, hey, we had a too big of a gap in that area, in, in, in a yardage gap. We needed to insert another club. It was just a really good like long, that's a really good fundamental decision that's the right decision for the end golfer. I would say it's just that we're we're very committed to making the right decision for the end golfer and helping them play their best and and taking care of our our accounts that have been very loyal and 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 committed to custom fitting our our clubs. Going to wrap it by plugging. You got a podcast with one of my favorite guys, Mr. Shane Bacon. I mean, you and I were telling uh, talking about Bacon and yeah. and I go all the way back to the Iowa Sports days. What's the pod and what makes it different than some of the other ones out there? Yeah, so we yeah Shane and I we we just launched the Ping Proving Grounds podcast, so check it out. We have we have the Proving Ground as our testing series, and it flies a little close to the sun there. But I know we're buddies, so I exactly. feel like we're we're okay. Exactly. But yeah, just the, the the S. Yeah. Anyway, so the Proving Grounds <laughs> that's our like headquarters at Ping, where we like we that's what we literally do. Like it's where we fail and learn. It's like where we fail and learn. We're with our tour players. That's like that 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 part of our campus. And headquarters we have our cool tech and all those things so we kind of kind of created that pink proving grounds uh uh kind of umbrella but shane and i kick off this pod and it's it's kind of multi-purpose i think it's going to allow us to tell like we are today like some long-form stories about how we develop product about our fitting tools to the empower the end consumer to ask better questions when they go get a fitting right and that's our ultimate goal ask better questions just be more knowledgeable about the game in general. Get a little, go under the hood of some of the cool things we do there. And we're interviewing all of our tour players. So to say, that's a cool part about it is 
being able to interview those guys, oh, pick yeah. their brain. Yeah. So we, we, we've, we've done one with, uh, Sahith, Terrell Hatton, Joaquin Neiman. That one just came out. Um, and it's really fun to get to know those players and what they do. That's very interesting with their equipment. Like Joaquin Neiman, like people don't know this. He plays a five hybrid. He plays a five iron and a five hybrid. And he talks about the ego battle of like, really funny. He's like, Oh, if I, if I play the five hybrid, do I put it where the four iron used to go or not? You know, he's kind of like embarrassed about it. But then he's, after he hits, he's like, this thing's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that thing. same e- ego, ego goes out the door at the, that point. Yeah. It's the same like, um, thoughts that the everyday golfer has in, yeah. in, and getting that window in, into what they do. And he plays his driver almost 46 inches to, to get a little more club head speed. So, um, it's really good to go into the weeds with our tour players. That's awesome. Marty, this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you again for making the time. All right, John. Thanks for having me, man.